Turn with me quickly to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. I'm going to start picking it up at verse 22. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, You are God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of Your servant David had said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against your holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, Herod and Pontius Pilate were the Gentiles, and the people of Israel all were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. I hope you never get tired of me saying this. But for emphasis' sake, allow me to repeat it. Good news. I've got good news. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. And with the message that the kingdom of heaven has arrived, people are set free. And the power of darkness is displaced. The eyes of the blind are opened. Broken hearts are healed. And those that have been abused are set at liberty. Church, that is good news. Amen? In seeking the Lord's direction, the Lord's heart, and the burden that is placed with on me, I want to emphasize that the word that we preach is not just in word only. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 20, it says, For the kingdom is not in word only, but in power. Dunamis, dynamic power. And if power is not present, I don't think it's necessarily the message of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not just in word, but it comes in dynamic, manifest power. When I see the preaching of Jesus, when I read in Matthew 4, 23, 24, I read in Matthew 
9.35, that Jesus went about everywhere, from city to city, from village to village. And He preached the message of the kingdom. And as He preached it in all of these places, it summarizes and describes His ministries. And He was busy healing the sick that were there, busy casting out demons that were there. I'm about to start reading a book about revival in China, of all places, that haven't had the benefits that you and I would take for granted, don't have the buildings, don't have salaried pastors, they don't have much, but great revival is breaking out. And the way they evangelize in China is they go to a village that hasn't heard anything, and they ask, where are the sick? They bring the sick to them, minister gifts of healing, miracles take place, crowds gather, and they're receptive to the gospel. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. And that's what Jesus did. He went in and He healed the sick that were there, gathered the crowds. The people saw a demonstration of the power of God, and that's what caused them to be open to hear the gospel. And then when I see in the Scriptures when Jesus sent out His disciples to do mission work, He gave them those very same instructions. As you go, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and He even said to them, raise the dead. That's a pretty tall order, I would say, wouldn't you think? But He expected them to go out, in, not just in word, but to demonstrate the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Every time he sent the twelve out in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it was with the instructions, with the miraculous. With the miraculous. And even after the twelve disciples, and you get into the ministries of, of Paul and other people in the New Testament, we see that the pattern is the same. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, Paul says, When I came to you in Corinth, I did not come with excellency of speech or with words of man's wisdom. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As a result, he says, and I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. But my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of power and the demonstration of the Spirit, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. That was verses 1 to 5 of 1 Corinthians 2. That your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Paul said, I made a conscious decision that that's the way it's done. For the kingdom is not word only, but it's power. In Romans 15, 18 to 19, he says the same thing. He says, I determined everywhere I preach that the Gentiles to whom I minister would become obedient to the Word of God because of the presence of signs and wonders. He would say this in many places. Acts 19, verses 9 to 12. It says that daily in the city of Ephesus, he was in a school of one Tyrannus and disputed daily and taught the Scriptures daily. But in addition to that, it says, and God did special miracles by the hands of Paul. Special miracles. Extraordinary 
miracles so that sometimes the claws taken from his body were taken out and given to people who were sick or demonized and the sick were healed and evil spirits were cast out. And as a result of this, it says in Acts 19 that within a space of two years, all of Asia heard the word. That's phenomenal. In the space of two years, all of Asia, not all the city, but all of Asia, the Asia Minor, to, uh, to you and me, that would be modern-day Turkey. In the space of two years, the gospel influenced the whole countryside. First Thessalonians 1.5, he says, I didn't come to you in word only, but I came in power, in assurance, and in the Holy Ghost. That's the ministry of the kingdom of heaven. That's the gospel that we're to take to a lost and a dying world. Every believer is called to kingdom work. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 to 18, these signs shall follow them that believe. Go and preach the gospel to every creature and these signs... In my name they shall cast out devils. They will speak in new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. In our desire for the restoration of Pentecost, for our desire for the manifestation of the kingdom, I want to remind myself that miracles are for the sake of the lost. Sometimes the church turns miracles for themselves, and they look, we use miracles to comfort the saints, and that's fine, and God does comfort the saints as well. But in the New Testament, the major emphasis is signs for the sake of the lost. Signs for the sake of the lost. Every believer is gifted, every believer is called, every believer is anointed. And it is scriptural and it is correct for us to petition God for signs and for wonders. It is correct to ask God to restore miracles and healings to the ministry of the kingdom. That's what they did in Acts chapter 4. Somebody at the age of 40 at the gate called Beautiful was miraculously healed, caused a stir, 5,000 people come to the Lord. The, the, the apostles get into trouble with the authorities because it, because they don't like them preaching about this name of Jesus. Like I shared this morning, to go out with the gospel is to go into trouble sometimes. It's not an easy thing, and God wants to know if we can handle the trouble that comes with the mission that we are, are committed to do. And they threaten the apostles, and what was their apostles' response? Lord, just increase the signs and wonders. Lord, increase the miracles. Increase that demonstration of the power. And the world out there needs to know that God is able to deliver them from whatever ails them. Amen? The world out there needs to know that there is a God who can forgive, that there is a God who restores, that there is a God who loves. And one of the major ways we read in the New Testament that God does that is He demonstrates His power in outward signs and wonders first. 
I like that story in Mark chapter 2 where they have to let the man down through the roof. Remember that story? They can't get through the door, so they go on the roof, make a hole in the roof. I'm glad that wasn't your house, though, aren't you? You know, and, and let the man down. And Jesus saw their faith. He says, son, your sins be forgiven you. And the religious people in that room there who were arguing and debating theological stuff with Jesus begin to think to themselves, who does this man think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And, but then he says that I could demonstrate to you that I have the power to forgive sins. Then he turned his attention to the man that was sick and said, take up your bed and walk. And here's the proof. If God can heal your body, He can heal your soul. Did you catch it? If God can heal the body, He can heal the eternal soul. And that's what we're to demonstrate to the lost and a dying world that He is able to heal their soul. And the proof of it, when He starts healing bodies, when He starts with the miracles and the signs and the wonders. And so, as a congregation, as the people of God, we are instructed in the Word of God to seek Him for the demonstration of the power of the kingdom in order to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Now, do I hear an amen for that? Are you with me? You better be, because that's where we're going anyway. The demonstration of the power of God so that the world out there knows that someone named Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and He has ascended. And if He can do that, He can fix your heart and He can fix your soul. That's the method that Jesus used. That's the method that Paul used. Used. That's the method that Peter used. And if I was to ask the question, how many want to see an increase of miracles? How many hands would I see? We want to see the increase of the demonstration of the power of God. And yes, even as we prayed this morning, you know, I, I could sense people expectancy and desire in their hearts. Yes, Lord, we want this. Yes, Lord, we want this. Yes, Lord, we want this. But just like in the service this morning, I believe that God was asking some pretty straightforward and pointed questions of us. And He asked us, can I trust you? It's a powerful thing when God asks us if He can trust us. Because the harvest is precious to him. The lost are precious to him. He's not willing that any should perish. He's already invested his son, and he's already invested his Holy Spirit. The next step of the program was to invest his church. But he wants to know if he can trust us. Because in the work, it can get difficult. Some of the statements that Jesus made to his disciples, I'm sending you out amongst wolves. They're going to take you to court. They're going to threaten your life. You're going to stand before kings and you're going to go be put to trial. And they knew very well that the mission they were going into to, in order to reap that harvest was fraught with danger. They realized that their lives would be threatened. They realized this would not be an easy thing. 
God wants to test us to make sure that He can trust us so that when it does get difficult and when the disappointments and when the challenges are there, we remain true to the mission and we don't cave in to opposition and we don't cave in to discouragement. And God's going to test us to make sure that He can trust us because the harvest is too precious to be committed to the hands of people who drop the ball when it gets hard. Follow what I'm saying? So pretty pointed questions that I believe the Lord was asking. And yet, everybody I'm sure here assembled here tonight wants an increase of the presence of God. Wants an increase of the demonstration of the power of God. And I want to ask this question. When we say we want these things, do we know what we're asking for? Because there is a cost to it. There is a cost to it. Do we understand the desperate nature of many people who will seek us out once they realize miracles take place? Do we grasp the fact that miracles can be messy? Because people don't, candidates for miracles usually don't come sanctified. They usually come up very dysfunctional people. A lot of them do. Come from addictions, from dysfunctional backgrounds. It can be emotionally challenging. Speaking from the pastoral side of experience here, it can be emotionally challenging to be faced with the hard, desperate needs and circumstances of people. Engaging people where they live in the depth of their need can be very exciting when you see deliverance and you see freedom come to them. And also it can be very discouraging and very disrupting to your personal life and to the corporate life of a church when we have to be exposed to the dysfunctional messes in which people live. It can be emotionally draining, to say the least. Miracles are awesome, but folks, people are fickle. (laughs) Miracles are awesome, but people are fickle. Jesus healed ten lepers. Only one thought to say thank you. And nine went away, taking it for granted what happened to them, and went on their merry way without God in their lives. Miracles are awesome, but people are fickle. Not everybody who receives a miracle is grateful. And you know what? Disappointments in people are really hard to take. They really are. Really hard to take. Do we grasp what responsibilities will be ours if we ask God for these things? Do we understand what's required to receive? And do we understand what's required to maintain a miracle ministry? I want to give you a few things that we need to consider if we want to embrace the demonstration of the power of God. The first thing I want to address, because it just has to be addressed everywhere, the whole world, a supernatural, spirit-led kingdom ministry is obtained by and sustained by unceasing, persistent, persevering prayer. And without a dedication to prayer, 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 and more 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 prayer. We don't want to go down this road. 
It is birthed by prayer. It is sustained by prayer. It is maintained by prayer. The habit of Jesus was prayer, prayer, and more prayer. And Jesus would would often pray with strong cryings and tears as you read about it in the Gospels. He would rise a great while before daylight. He would seek out secluded places where nobody could find him so he could be alone to commune with his Father because he knew he was utterly and completely dependent on hearing his Father's voice. And he had to make arrangements and rearrange his life so the priority was prayer so we could hear God speak to him. Miracle ministry requires that. The scripture makes it quite plain that the continuous anointing and the continuous presence of the Holy Spirit to minister the miraculous is only sustained through persevering prayer on behalf of the church. Philippians 1.19, Paul would say, I know that I experienced the supply of the Spirit because of your prayers. I experienced the presence of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, because of your prayers. He prays in Ephesians 6, 18 and 19 when he's in prison. Pray for me that utterance might be given to me, that I might have the boldness to make the gospel known as I ought to make it known. And he realized that that flow, that ability to preach, that ability to be bold in the worst of circumstances was only sustained because people prayed for him. And so, if we want to seek this, the question is this, Are we willing to increase our devotion to prayer and waiting on God? Will we arrange, rearrange our lifestyles to accommodate more private time with God individually? And will we often get together to pray corporately? Will prayer become the number one commitment of our lives? It's a deep question but one we need to face. If we want to press into the kingdom, this will be required of us. Another thing that we need to be prepared for is, are we willing to go through boot camp? Now, doesn't that sound exciting? Boot camp. You know what boot camp is, don't you? It's where you get thrown in the rough circumstances to see if we survive or not. Jesus gave his disciples limited mission experience before he gave them a full commissioning. It's part of the training. Consider his instructions in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 to 13. He says, I want you to go out, the twelve of you. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cleanse lepers. I want you to preach the message of the kingdom. But when you go, don't even take a second shirt with you. Don't take your purse. Don't take your wallet. One pair of shoes, no extra clothes. You could have a walking stick. And if you can't accept those terms, it's hard stuff, isn't it? And they had to go out doing the miraculous with absolutely no provision whatsoever. And they're going to have to believe that provision would be given to them as they ministered the truth of the kingdom of heaven. Which means this, no miracles meant no provision. Have you ever been put to the test like that? I know what it's like to get on an airplane and I have in my pocket the only amount of money I have. It was $1.78, which by your currency means I had one pound in my pocket. 
and I was to go to five different cities and five different planes on one pound. Can you do it? Can you believe that God will provide as you go? The thing is, if we want miracle ministry, you're going to have to allow your faith to be challenged like that. Are you prepared for that? To believe God against all odds. It's interesting, some of the ways we've got to, to prove God. They had to lean entirely and absolutely on God's leading and a supernatural provision. But here's the main thing I want to share. We need power. We need power. I'm going to give you an equation that I came across about what makes power the minister, the miraculous. Four factors I want us to consider. Let's remember that every gift of the Spirit and every ministry is a partnership between ourselves and God. Now, I know God's really good at holding up His end of the bargain. Usually, the struggle is on our side. Is that not right? But there's always a partnership. God does His part. We have to do our part. Four things creates power. Let me give them to you one at a time. I'll mention them, then I'll go through them. Authority, gifting, faith, and consecration. Authority, gifting, faith, consecration. Again, authority, gifting, faith, consecration. The combination of those four things creates a ministry of power. Now, let me explain one by one quickly. Authority. That means you have been commissioned to go. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. Go ye, therefore. It's the commission to go. Whenever Jesus sent his disciples on a mission, he gave them the authority to do certain things. He gave them the authority to heal the sick. He gave them the authority to cast out demons. He gave them the authority to act in His name. Therefore, we must have this absolute confidence that is our mandate as well. We are to minister the kingdom of heaven to people. That is our mandate. We have been sent on such a mission. We've been commissioned to do so. We've been led by His voice, led by His Spirit. But here's a kicker. The sense of authority in our life is directly related to our level of obedience. The sense of authority is directly related to our level of obedience. We are commissioned with authority only to the degree that we are in submission to God. Therefore, we usually have to go through a period of life where the issue of obedience has worked out in our lives. For Jesus, it was 40 days in the wilderness. 
And in 40 days in the wilderness, he learned obedience. In that wilderness, he brought his entire being into total submission to the principles of the Word of God. His spirit, his soul, his body was brought into complete and absolute total conformity to the, to the principles of the Scripture. The result of him learning obedience in that is that he went in the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost, but he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit, and he came out being able to now take up the Scripture from Isaiah 61. He could say, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. And then he could add these words, And today this is being fulfilled in your ears. The authority is related to our obedience. If we want power with God, we must be submissive and obedient in every detail of our lives. Jesus came out of that experience with demon-destroying, sickness-sacking, darkness-displacing power. The world needs to see it. That's what I mean by the sense of authority. We have authority which is dependent on upon our level of obedience. The second thing, gifting in that equation. Authority Gifting. Gifting means this. You are a member of the body of Christ. You have been given anointings. God has graced you. Nobody is left out. You are a member of the body of Christ. You might be the ear, the eye, the nose, the hands, the feet. Who knows which part you might be, but you're not left out. And that means you have been given specific abilities... These are not natural talents. These are divine enablements. Some people are naturally really burdened for the lost. Other people are more burdened that the saints would mature. Some people gravitate to prophetic ministry more than other ministries. Other people gravitate to showing mercy in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean that you only do the one thing. The Bible says you could all prophesy, but some people will excel at it. It doesn't mean only, oh, that person shows mercy, so I don't have to. No, everybody is to live and to show mercy as a lifestyle. But there are some people who are uniquely gifted and really excel in it. It comes very natural to them. We all have different giftings and anointings. Now, there are gifts of healing as gifts of the Spirit. There are gifts of workings of miracles. And there are gifts of faith. In my own experience, sometimes the gift of faith rises within me quite strongly. And when it rises within me, I, nothing's impossible. You just know that you know that you just become ferocious on the inside. You just know the gift of faith and there's nothing going to stand in front of you. Other times it's not so strong. But not everybody has that experience. Other people can pray for the sick much easier than I can. I pray in good faith. Other people pray knowing that they know that they know. You know what I'm saying? We've all got different giftings. And God has given some people that gifting for the miraculous, some giftings for the supernatural faith, some giftings for, for healings. They're part of the gifts of the Spirit. And God has given everybody to that. And if you have one of those gifts then please let me take you on evangelism with me. Because I like to use that gift 
and reaching people. The third thing is faith. Authority, gifting, faith. Well, there's no doubt about the place of faith. Jesus is according to your faith, be it unto you. Romans 12, 6 says we can only minister according to the proportion of faith that God has given us. But you know what? It takes courage to act in faith. Faith has to be active. Faith has to say this. I am going to reach out to Jesus no matter what. If there's a mountain between me and Jesus, I'm just going to get a shovel and dig that mountain, a tunnel through that mountain. If there's a crowd of people and I can't get in the door, I'm going to come through the roof. If I'm a woman with an issue of blood, I'm not even supposed to be out in public and Jesus is passing by, I'll have to get my hands and knees if I have to, but I'm going to do whatever I have to, but I'm going to touch Jesus. If you're blind Bartimaeus and the crowd says to shut up and leave him alone, you're going to shout louder. Faith says this, I refuse to pay attention to obstacles and I refuse to pay attention to hindrances and I refuse to pay attention to mountains. I'm going to do whatever it takes, but I am going to get to Jesus. And faith can be daring and faith can be aggressive. And when we get out in miracle ministry, aggressiveness is needed. We can't be necessarily, we need to be gracious, but we can't necessarily be apologetic to the point we don't do anything. Faith learns to speak the mountains. Faith knows to go in and lay hands. Faith knows that God has spoken and that's enough. Faith knows that God is generous. Faith knows that God wants to prove himself to a lost and a dying world. Faith purposely ignores fear and embraces confidence. I like what Jesus said to Jairus when he gets the news, your daughter is dead. He said, don't fear. Ignore the fear, but only believe. Embrace the confidence. Faith knows that God wants to show His power to a lost generation. I have discovered over my years of ministry and when it comes to praying for people who don't know the Lord, and you start praying for them when they're sick, they usually are very agreeable to prayer. And personally, I have seen more manifestations of power towards people who don't even know the Lord as opposed to praying for believers. You know why? Because God yearns to show His power to the lost. Authority, gifting, faith, and the last one is consecration. What do I mean by consecration? It means how we dedicate ourselves to God. It means how we set ourselves apart for God's use. Here's a fact, and you know it as well as I do. There's only 24 hours in a day. Anybody manage to get that 25th? In there? There's only 24 hours in a day. Another fact, you only have so much energy. You need to sleep. You need to eat. You need to have rest. How do you live your life? Because there are many things that drain power.
from us. Let me tell you a couple of them. Weariness. Physical and mental weariness will drain power out of your life. Because in order to minister in the Spirit, you have to be mentally alert, you have to be physically alert. Mental weariness, emotional weariness, robs you of your ability to flow and to work with the Holy Spirit. Weariness, fatigue, can drain the sense of authority and power out of your life. What you allow yourself to think upon, what you occupy your mind with, will either enhance the power or drain the power from your life. Therefore, we have to live a consecrated life and we have to adjust ourselves and adjust our lives to facilitate the call of God rather than compete with the call of God. Why? Because you only have so much hours in a day and you only have so much energy. How do you spend it? And how do you use it? That might mean for some people that you have to give up legitimate things, things that are not wrong in and of themselves, things that are not sinful, but if they take up your time, if they take up your mental energy, if they drain you emotionally, you're going to have to choose what you want. And everybody has got to find the balance that works for them. Everybody needs to mentally and emotionally rest. And I'm preaching to myself because I do neither. But everybody needs to mentally and emotionally rest. And some people have diversions and hobbies just to, to be able to do that, which is fine and it's good for yourself unless your hobby becomes your life. Unless it ends up competing with time you need to spend before God. Time to discipline your heart and your mind to hear His voice. I know from people I know personally that, that moved in great power with God, whether it was healing ministries or prophetic ministries. I know the lifestyle that was required of these men and these women who ministered in great anointing and great demonstration. If the meeting starts at 7.30 at night, for them the meeting started about 1 o'clock. Did you catch that? They just didn't come to a meeting at 7.30. They had spent four hours, five hours sometimes, in prayer, making sure their heart is right, making sure they're in tune with the Holy Spirit, making sure there's no nothing, no uh, obstacles within their own heart and within their own mind, praying until they hear the voice of God and they hear God before they ever get to the meeting. And that consecration, that consecration, and that consecration, and that consecration. A lot of these miracle healing ministries like Reinhard Bonnke, I said to you a few weeks ago, if you work for him, you were up at 4.30 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning he has you up. And your work day begins at 9. And he had you up at 4.30. Why? Is because if you want the power to heal the blind, open the ears of the deaf, if you want the power to grant the miracles so the masses may respond, it requires intensity of consecration uh, to the Lord, to hearing His voice. His self-discipline is tremendous. 
if we're going to grow in prophetic gifting and prophetic ability, it takes time before God because hearing the voice of God is a discipline that doesn't come easy. Some people say, well, God said to me and God said to me as if you have these conversations, you know, just back and forth conversation all day. Lay your hands on me because it doesn't happen to me. It just doesn't happen to me. I try, I try my best to hear God. I try to get quiet before God. I try to pick up His heartbeat, pick up His Spirit. Sometimes I can hear His voice very clearly and sometimes I hear His voice and it gets confirmed to me through something else that really was God that speak. But you know, to learn to hear God takes practice. It takes setting time apart to be with Him and to seek Him. And, to, you know, and it's just, we have to realize that if we want the demonstration of power, the cost of consecration goes up. The cost of consecration goes up. So those four things, this combination, the authority, the gifting, the faith, and the consecration, these are four areas that have to, we have to examine for ourselves because those things working together create power, create the demonstration of power. And so, I want to follow the example of Jesus, don't you? I want to follow how he did ministry, understanding the cost that it cost him to do the ministry. Let me just close off with this thought. I'm just repeating what you heard me say before. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Every man presses into the kingdom. We want to see the demonstration of God's power. The kingdom of God is not word only, but it's in power. That's the direction we're headed. To realize what it requires of us as individuals, corporate together, to move into the things of the power of God. Amen. There you go.